0: what is up everybody welcome back to another episode of the rewired soul podcast it's your host chris and yes yes everybody even though uh i've I've gone back to work uh this is an exciting week because we have two episodes for you what (laughs) but yeah today's guest is kathy o'neill and i was like i gotta get this episode out this week because she has a brand new book coming out next week so before i introduce uh her and this conversation real quick uh like i said i i've gone back to the the life of the working so make sure you follow me on instagram and twitter so you don't miss any updates about upcoming episodes upcoming guests and i just love talking with all of you so follow me on instagram and twitter at the rewired soul all right second thing do me a huge favor as you're listening to this podcast, as you're enjoying this conversation, as long as you're not like driving, take a second, head over to Apple podcast, leave a rating, leave a review helps out the podcast takes you two seconds. We all win. You know what I mean? But anyways, anyways, today's guest is Kathy O'Neill. And some of you might be familiar with her. She wrote, a uh, just a smash hit book called Weapons of Math Destruction. And that's how I was introduced to her. I I got really interested in how algorithms are, you know, um, you know, Contributing to social issues, so I read her book as well as many others, like uh, the the fantastic book um, "Algorithms of Oppression." And and yeah, as we shift more and more in this digital age to relying on algorithms, you know, it is contributing to you know racism, sexism, wealth inequality, just so so many issues, and we need to address it. And you know, by no means do I know anything about computer programming, but it makes sense uh, with the way that Kathy and so many other amazing authors have kind of explained it. well, anyways, check out that book if you haven't yet, but today we're talking about kathy 's brand new book that comes out next week, all right, and it's called "The Shame Machine." So I was fortunate enough uh Kathy and her team sent me an early copy of this book, and I read it, and it's it's You know, it's really important because um, with this kind of capitalist society that we live in, Kathy and I discussed this in our conversation as it pertains to this book, uh, we're we're often meant uh, to feel shame by these companies trying to profit off of us. One of the best examples that Kathy and I discuss is the weight loss industry. Right, uh, I don't know if any of you have seen me, but I'm a little on the chunky side, but we're constantly being told that this is not how it should look. You know, you should be doing this. If you are overweight, it's your fault. That's that. But it, it it branches off into so many other categories that Kathy and I discussed. Poverty, right? Uh, if you're poor, if you're not uh, rich, uh, we we discussed uh, Kim Kardashian's recent comments. Uh, basically saying that, you know, uh, you just need to work harder, right? We're told these things and and there's a shame that comes along with it. And this shame leads to us not discussing some of the struggles and difficulties that we're going in, uh, that we're going through. And that becomes a bigger issue because you can't solve a problem that you're not talking about, you know what I mean? So uh, Kathy's book is all about how, you know, uh, in this digital age, shame has kind of shifted. We talk about, how it used to go from like, you know, these weight loss commercials that you would see on TV, some billboards, magazine ads, and how it's kind of changed in this digital age. So we have a lot of, uh, you know, great, great topics in this conversation. And I even ask her, I even ask her, because I'm very skeptical of algorithms when it comes to like marketing us and like really knowing us, because I get the the weirdest ads and i'm like you don't even know me right but anyways this has been a long enough uh intro uh i hope you enjoyed this conversation but do yourself a favor make sure you're following kathy over on twitter i'll link that down in the description below along with her brand new book the shame machine all right so at the time of releasing this it's coming out next tuesday which is march what's the date it is march 22nd so it launches on march 22nd but uh, uh, right now you can pre-order it so make sure you check it out uh, all that stuff's linked down below I'll also link her previous book weapons of math destruction all right but anyways without further ado here's my conversation with kathy o'neill about her brand new book the shame machine Hello, Kathy. Thanks so much for joining me. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Chris.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I was uh, fortunate enough to get an early copy of, uh, yeah, your brand new book, upcoming book, The Shame Machine. So before we dive into some of the topics of the book, for for the few people in my audience who may not be familiar with you and your work, can you give us a little bit of, uh, yeah, your background?
1: Yeah. I'm a nerd. Uh, I was a math math nerd for a long time. I got made my PhD in math and became a math professor. Um, then I started working for finance right before the credit crisis, um, which was eye opening, to say the least. I left finance a couple of years later, um, pretty pretty like mind blown and disappointed. I joined Occupy. I joined Occupy Wall Street actually. I also had to get a job so I became a data scientist and um, I uh, I also got pretty worried about what's going on there in the world of AI and big data and alg- algorithms. So I wrote a book called Weapons of Mass Destruction to try to warn people that algorithms could be pretty destructive. Um, and then uh, I started a company to audit algorithms and at the same time I started I started noticing, sort of, you know, not first because of my research on algorithms, but also because of my own personal experience researching bariatric surgery for mm. myself to to avoid getting diabetes, which my father died of, and my brother had been recently diagnosed with. I started sort of thinking quite deliberately about the question of like how how shame works as a social mechanism. Um, and how it, in particular, how it how it's used by industries to get us to buy their products.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah, that makes sense too, of of that kind of, you know, transition. And one of the things that I, you know, from the, from the, like the jump of the book, like I could relate to a lot of like your personal story, like I'm a bigger dude and it's something that I've struggled with my entire Mm -hmm. life, no matter what I do. And like, I was like, yep, I totally get that. And, and yeah. um, So one of the, one of the things I wanted to ask you was, how have you seen um, like just focusing on like weight and the shame associated with it and how these companies, you know, they, they drive us towards shame to, you know, buy their products or their services. How have you seen that change over the years? Because for example, when I was a kid, it was like, you know, TV commercials, uh, the shows you're watching, it's all the beautiful people and all that. But obviously we're in the, the age of social media and algorithms. So we're getting hit by this stuff in a whole different way. How do you think that's changed and how has that affected us like is it more is it about the same what are your thoughts on that
1: yeah i mean great question um because you're right this is not a new thing like the weight loss industry has been shaming us and making us pay for work for products that don't work Mm -hmm. and then we get blamed and shamed yet more because their products don't work uh (laughs) which is like if you think about it just so weird like If you went to the doctor and they kept us prescribing medicine that doesn't work, you'd think that we'd be like, stop, give us something that works. But for some reason with diets, we're just like, oh, it must have been my fault that it didn't work. Um, But yeah, it's changed and it's changed in kind of um, two ways. To your point, like the algorithms on social media have been able to um, make use of just an enormous amount of information that's known about us to profile us. Mm-hmm. And to really push our buttons, you know, just as um, just as like people who are addicted to gambling get constant come ons from gambling houses, mm-hmm. you know, um, teenage girls get constant um, negative reinforcement about body image, like people who are prone to dieting or weight loss products will just get constantly inundated with shame around that like with shaming products. And that's exactly, by the way exactly what my experience was yeah. um and i've always been i've always been overweight and honestly i thought i was okay with it um yeah. and i i thought i was just like yeah I, i'm fat like <laughs> what what the what, whatever you know like i've had you know three kids and i you know i've been married i've been i never like didn't get laid or anything you know what i mean yeah um and i was really honestly like i'm going to be researching bariatric surgery which is um you know you have technically weight loss Um, surgery but really the reason I'm doing it is to avoid diabetes and as well as it worked for weight loss which it does work quite well it works even better for diabetes like even people who don't lose weight with bariatric surgery manage to improve their diabetes outcomes Mm. so I was like I thought I was so past that Chris Yeah. and then when I started doing the research I was like oh I'm not past that because this sucks because as soon as you google with in not in in incognito mode um mm-hmm. if you google uh you know bariatric surgery you are like it's one and done like you are that yeah. person that is going to buy something to avoid the shame of being fat and Amen. and that's so that, that that went for me even though i thought i was past it. I, past it I wasn't past it i wasn't at all past it it got to the point where i like couldn't do my own research because i couldn't And I didn't even understand it. What was this noise in my head? Like I'm a, I'm a nerd. I can read science papers. I can understand facts versus I can be rational. Like I had so many reasons that this wasn't happening to me, but what what was actually happening to me was like I was being I felt like dying. I felt like curling up in a little ball and just giving up and feeling like maybe I deserve to die of diabetes. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. So it was
1: really it was really potent and in a surprising and horrible way.
0: Yeah no it, it's wild like I, I'm, I'm right there with you like I read so many books and I'm like oh and, and I love psychology so I'm like oh yeah I understand why this is happening but it doesn't like it doesn't like take that sting away like in a little bit we'll talk about like the online shaming and like you know kind of like the, the the groups ganging up and everything like that like even like understanding it it doesn't like soften the blow which is really weird
1: um but I, mean, I, I do want to add though, like there has been, uh, if you don't mind me just in, inter- interjecting, because I oh, realized that I didn't quite, I didn't quite finish answering the question. One of the things that's really changed, besides the, you know, the absolute targeting, the online targeting, which is which is horrifying. Um, one thing that's really changed though is that, like, in polite circles, it's no longer acceptable to be like fat shaming in an overt manner. Yeah. Um. Although online, online it just I, everything goes. Like you know, <laughs> trying to get rid of of unseemly belly fat. I'll, I'll like you know, they just like whatever they can do to like make you feel bad. They'll do it. Yeah. But like on NPR or something, on like on like a sort of high class thing, they do it in a more subtle way. So like one of the things I write about in my book is like this company Noom, which
0: mm-hmm.
1: claims not to be a dieting. You know, it's like it's not dieting. It's it's um behavior modification except the great thing is that you lose weight you know what i mean
0: yeah and it's
1: like oh okay so we're not going to admit that we're streaming uh we're not going to admit it's weight loss we're not going to admit it's dieting i think even weight watchers has changed its name just to ww just be like they don't want to be associated dieting because everybody knows diets fail so they they're all sort of vying for this ridiculous claim that they are going to make you lose weight without dieting. It, and yeah. it's just, it's actually kind of, to me, it's like worse because it's shaming in a kind of like, um, in a pretend way. It's like, I, yeah. I sometimes call it concern, concern trolling, you know, like, or it's, it's <laughs> yeah. dieting in the name of wellness or some bullshit like that. Am I allowed to swear on their podcast, I, by the hell way? Hell
0: yeah, you are. Go for it.
1: Yeah. So it's, thank you. Um, That makes me feel good. Uh, yeah. So um, it's like this new generation of fat shaming comes in subtler ways, which, yeah. you know, it's, it is for me like more insidious and in some ways more disgusting because it's, it's, you know, you're supposed to feel like, oh, well, I've tried 85 diets. None of them work. So now I'm going to try this behavior modification. Mm. And it's definitely the case that if I fail on this and I'm the failure. But yes. in the meantime, the the, the ridiculous pseudo scientific studies that they push forward with Noom and I'm sure everything else are just as bad science as the old weight loss, the Weight Watchers um, studies used to be. Namely, they have selection bias. Mm-hmm. They're really short term. They just like when I say selection bias, literally what I mean is people who do not want to be told they failed do not show up to get weighed when they've when they've gained weight instead of lost weight. Yeah. And that's like most people. <laughs> like most people do not actually successfully lose weight long term on any any particular regimen. So so the but the what the studies the studies just ignore those people. They even just remove them from the studies. So they basically are only tracking the people for whom their system works. And so there's just a ridiculous bias in their results. Yeah. But even then the, even though they're cheating, they can't make it look very good because it doesn't even work that for for those people very well. So it's just, it's like it's ridiculous. Um, all, 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 which is to say that like, um, at least back in the '80s when I was growing up, at least the fat shaming, the weight loss industry was overt about it. And now that they're they're trying to be subtle, and it just like absolutely nuts.
0: Yeah, yeah, they just put all their cards on the table back then. But but yeah, it's yeah, it, it's interesting that you bring up the selection bias too, because uh, my background comes from addiction recovery and addiction treatment, and you know something I realized early on was like addiction recovery statistics were always skewed because you call someone after they leave treatment, and there's a lot of shame associated with like relapse, right? So it's absolutely. very hard to get like honest answers. I like part of my old job at an addiction treatment center was to follow up with people. And I'd see them posting about, you know, drinking or using drugs on social media. And I'd call them and they'd be like, yeah, I'm still sober, you know, because people don't want to admit that, you know, uh, you know, something happened afterwards. And and you talk about this a lot in the book. And, you know, in, yeah. in, in my opinion, I'm curious about yours, but with this like kind of capitalist, individualistic kind of culture we've created, especially in the United States all the blame like i think you have an entire chapter on this all the blame sh- uh, and shame shifts back to you right you you didn't lose yeah. weight it's your fault right uh you have a chapter on mm-hmm. poverty you're not making money that's your fault and just over the weekend yeah. i don't know if you saw this but kim kardashian right she's telling people that you know they just need to work harder and all this other stuff.
1: oh god i did see that i did see that yeah
0: <laughs> right? so so yeah so uh do you think that's part of our like uh you know uh, our culture uh you know especially Here in the united states because it's very individualistic that that kind of like turning the shame back on us and making us feel bad for our our shortcomings like and and what are some you know solutions for that does that come from the bottom up or from the top down is it like us that need to work on that or is it like i don't know companies government or or what is it
1: well yeah so thank you for saying that i mean it's you know it's you just encapsulated a lot of the point of my book in a very sh- a few sentences, and I really appreciate that. Mm. It is like a mechanism by which we are blamed for systemic problems. Shame is like the fastest way to change our, um, to change the subject, if you will. If we ask a question like, hey, wait, why why are you like making it so hard for poor people to qualify for welfare? Or why mm. aren't you actually offering medically assisted, treat, assisted treatment for addiction, which is much, much better than just the shame-based, like <laughs> yeah. never take another drug uh, approach. Um, the answer is like blame the addicts, blame, the, blame poor people for their poverty, blame fat people for their fatness. Um, and the thing about shame is that it feels so bad. So, and it's so fast. It's faster mm. than our brain, you know? You know, that going back to my trying to sort of research that bariatric surgery, I am smart. I'm a smart person. I know science, but shame is faster than my brain is. Yeah. Shame hits me and it hits me in my gut. Like, like it's like a punch, like literally like you're feeling punched. Um, And that's how quickly it it, it acts. So we lose our sense of self. We lose, we, like our, our sense of self is disintegrated. It's very painful and we can't think rationally it's like somebody is just blaring a a fire alarm in your ear like you can't think at that moment you can't defend yourself you can't explain what you really need and what would work for you as a human as like in a long-term way and that's why it works so well and the question of why why it's being done is because distracting people from their rights is really helpful if you as a society, if, if the society doesn't want to deal with the actual problem. So that's the way I think about it with poverty and with addiction. Like it's partly a profit motivation, like, like with weight loss is almost entirely a po- profit motivation, but not entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, but with poverty, especially, let's start there. Like it's, it's not that people are making money off of poor people, which they are. They are making money off of poor people. <laughs> don't get me wrong. There's a lot of that. There is definitely a lot of predatory um, companies as well as government um, agencies that make money off of poor people. But I'm just saying, like, the shaming aspect of it is, I would argue, in large part, a way for us to not deal with inequality as a society. We don't want to deal with inequality. It's a huge problem. Instead of dealing with it, we shame people who are poor because that way we don't feel like we have any responsibility. It's not the system that's the problem. It's those individuals that are the problem. Um, and similarly with addiction, um, you know, we, I think that's a little bit more obvious how, how ridiculous it is um, because you have this Backler family that literally yeah. made billions of dollars addicting people. Um, and then by the way, emailed each other, let's blame the addicts, you know, yeah. for the, the, for the systemic um, opioid epidemic that we began, they literally wrote blame the addicts. Um, and then, and then and then and i'm sure you know more than i do about this like and then we offer either no treatment or terrible treatment mm-hmm. to most people um or prison prison or jail um you know like the number of people who are sent to uh prison because essentially because they're addicted to something is staggering and you know that because the number of uh people with addiction problems in prison is staggering yeah. uh, which is not a treatment center right And to never be, but we, the the way we do it is we just say, we don't want to deal with this problem. We do not want to deal with this problem. And the way we're going to avoid dealing with it, is it reasonable? It's not correct. It will not help, but it will make us feel better. And that's, and that way is shaming the victims.
0: Yeah. So. You know something that keeps coming to mind, and uh, it, it's something I think about a lot because you know I think about you know the companies, the corporations, right? Like uh, you know uh, the Sackler family, right? They're you know they they want their profits, they want to you know keep pushing their medications and everything. But anyways, the narrative they create, right, is it's you, it's the individual, but on on an individual level, because what I notice, what what really bums me out, is that it seems like collectively we seem to buy into that narrative, right? And I always ask myself why, right? So you'll see people, they they for example, they blame fat people for being fat, right? Uh, you know, uh, I, I spent yeah. my whole life watching people like, uh, you know, say, oh, well, if you just ate better, if you exercise, and I'm like, Full like i i you know i'll I'll go for like miles of like walks and do exercise and i i'm a vegetarian i try to come back and like it's still there right but but they buy into this narrative but anyways because i try to empathize i'm like okay okay why do they believe that so i'm curious your thoughts on like for me it seems like it's this uh you know, this, this false sense of control that we have, right? We want to blame the person. We want to join in that narrative because, you know, using addiction as an example, oh, that person has a failure, that person's weak, because then we could believe that kind of thing will never happen to us. Like, so That's do right. you, do you right. see that kind of, yeah. Can you dive into that and your thoughts on how we kind of
1: feed into that narrative as well? Absolutely, I mean, and, and well said, again, um, like, so let me back up. I, I want to start by saying, like, what is shame good for? Like, what are the actual mm, sort of yeah. sort of uh, theoretical goals of shame, and, and when are they actually realized? And so I'll I'll start there. Like, what is shame supposed to be doing? Shame is supposed to be correcting someone's behavior. You know, like, oh, you're hoarding food in a in a um, in a situation where there's a scarcity of food. Like, shame on you like you need to share your food. And that's kind of like I w- I w- I want where I want your listeners to start. You know, there's, it's yeah. like, think of it as shame as a pro-social me- mechanism that prevented communities from, um, from suffering. It, like the individual had to sort of balance their personal desires against the needs of the, of the community. And shame is a way of convincing them to think about the community. So don't be, don't be selfish, share your food. You know, Mm -hmm. we need, we need you to stop hoarding food. Um, And if people prevent, if if people ignored that, those rules, um, first they'd be shamed, then they'd be cast out of the village and die of exposure. So Mm -hmm. it does make sense for fame to take on really high stakes in our, in our psychic um, existence. Like the idea is we should think of it as like, Oh my God, if I don't follow this rule, I'm going to die. You know, like I'm or I'm going to have a social death. I'm going to be spurned and shunned. And that makes sense because there are rules that we have to follow that prevent us from doing something outrageous that's bad for the community, like killing each other or raping children or whatever it is.
0: Yeah.
1: So there are these norms and these social norms that are held up through shame and it makes sense and it works. Um the secondary goal of shame by the way is to is to make an example of you so that others do not do that you know like see what happened to this guy he got thrown out of the village because he was hoarding food so you better not hoard food that's the kind of like um mm-hmm. example the secondary goal of shame um now I, let me just go back to the first goal of shame though to prevent somebody from be misbehaving that is predicated on the, on the assumption that there's a choice to be made, that the person is choosing to misbehave. Mm. When we are shaming someone based on something that is not their choice, like being fat or being poor, having an addiction problem, like that's already inappropriate. It's an yeah. inappropriate thing to shame them on because they actually don't have a choice about it. Um, what happens, of course, is that will become the argument because everyone kind of agrees it's inappropriate to shame somebody based on, uh, if they don't have a choice about it. Everybody would agree to that as a principle. Yeah. So what people will say is that they do have a choice. Oh, you do have a choice to be fat and you're choosing to be fat. Oh, you do have a choice of being ad- uh, being addicted and you're choosing to be a- addicted. Oh, you do have a choice to be poor. And so what they're going to do is they're going to like exaggerate the amount of choice you have. Um, Because, of course, there's, you know, there is a certain amount of power you have over these things, but there's not as much power as those people will want to believe. So I think part of it is simply that people are unimaginative and unempathetic. And what they do is they imagine that you have a choice when you don't, that you have a clear, easy choice to make and you're making the wrong choice consistently. And that's one of the reasons they feel like they are allowed to shame you. So that's one of the things that's happening. But another thing that's happening, I think, is exactly what you said, which is they want to think it's a choice because they want to think they're never going to make the wrong choice. And by shaming you and holding you away from them, they will feel like they're immune to this problem. So they're going to be themselves personally like out, you know, in the clear. And not only them, but they're going to like, my kids will never get fat or poor or have problems with drugs because, you know, because it's a choice and you're making the wrong choice and you're a bad person. So mm-hmm. in other words, they they want to feel uh, insulated away from this, this problem. And so the easiest way for them to do that is to sort of act as if the people who have the problem, you know, actually went ahead and tried to get it. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. is the point Nobody ever tries to get one of those problems that I mentioned. Nobody. Um, yeah. But it's just an easier way for them to think about it so they don't have to worry that they or their, their loved ones might fall prey to this this problem.
0: Yeah no absolutely and I and like I've, I've done like family groups and like try to educate people about addiction I'm like hey nobody wakes up in the morning and it's like hey this is going to be a really good idea to like you know shoot some heroin or you know whatever it is yeah. right like it's it's there's something past that and you know I'm glad they're doing a little bit more research into this stuff but you know I I did want to circle back to you know that uh that kind of evolutionary aspect of it, right? Like shame serves uh, a purpose for our groups. If someone's misbehaving, like our societies can collapse if we don't hold each other accountable and all that. But we are uh, hopefully, as long as we, you know, avoid some more, uh, you know, variants, hopefully at the tail end of this, uh, pandemic, but shame has, uh, and public shaming and online shaming has been a big aspect of this, right? So I'm curious your thoughts on this because I, I get conflicted on this because I'm a huge psychology nerd and I get it, right? Like people who refuse to wear masks or people who are against getting vaccinated, all these things. But at the same time, when I see these kind of like pile I'm like, okay, is this shifting that person's uh, opinion or is it entrenching them more in their beliefs like i was just uh right before our our conversation i was going back through your book and you you were talking about leon festinger and cognitive dissonance you know and stuff like that and and so i i wonder about that i'm like you know that that dissonance that they're feeling like even when anti you know people against the vaccine started to get sick and ended up in the hospital you you saw those videos of them like still saying no i would not go and get vaccinated but anyways do you think yeah. shame, shame was effective? Like, I, I don't think we have data on it, but I'm just curious if you think yeah. that was, that was the great best question. way or if there was something else we could have or should be doing, you
1: know? It's, you brought up a lot of really fantastic questions. Let me, let me, once again, sort of back up like to a higher level and just um, and discuss the two most important questions that I address in the book, or I try to address. And I will say, by the way, that I don't claim to be right one hundred percent of the time in my book, nor do I claim that these principles that I'm about to say are one hundred percent infallible. But what I really wanted to do with the book is number one, get people to recognize shame as a social mechanism when it's happening to them or when they're you know when they're shaming others. Number one, and number two, I just wanted a better conversation about shame. So yeah. I'm going to just go ahead and and make these principles and like, I'm going to defend them, but I'm not claiming that they're perfect. And here's my, the first question I'm answering. The first question is when is shame appropriate? When is it appropriate? Like when is it not just plain bullying? And the answer is I've already half answered it. Like the first is that it has to be a choice. You cannot shame somebody for something they don't have choice about, but there's another aspect to it, which is called, I call voice, which is, um, which is trickier. It means that they have the chance to defend themselves and it means that they have a chance to sort of be seen improving their behavior. Mm. So it's kind of a long-term tie. Like it will not happen online in a, like with a person you've never met, will never meet. So for that reason, I think online for of an unknown person who we will never see improve their behavior, they will never be redeemed because they yeah. will never have the chance to show that they got better, that is just not right. It's just not right. It's never right. That's my that's my claim. Um, so that's that's the question of appropriateness. So when is it like so? The opposite, you know, the opposite of inappropriate is appropriate. So when is it appropriate? It's appropriate when the person has a choice and they will be seen to improve their behavior. Um, they will see be seen to making the right choice um, in a long term way. Okay. So now you can talk about masks and vaccines. Those are those are our choices. I mean, for all, the vast majority of people, those are choices. Yeah. There are exceptions, of course, like people in prisons who didn't have access to masks, mm. you know, some immunocompromised folks who cannot take the vaccine, but for the large majority of people, that's a choice. But there's a, so the secondary question that I answer, the first question was, when is it appropriate to shame? The second, or, second question though is, when does it work? Like, when does it actually work? And the answer isn't just when it's appropriate. It has to be appropriate plus something else. (laughs) (laughs) And that plus something else is like, well, at the very least, the person you're shaming has to agree to the norm, right? You're shaming them with respect to a norm. And if they don't agree with the norm, then it's not going to work. It's not going to work. Mm. And so you might be like, well, why do we do it anyway? Why Why do people on the left shame Trump? or misspelling, right? Yeah. Or miscap- miscapitalizing his tweets. Like, that always shocked me that, like, people would shame Trump based on his spelling. Yeah. Do you think, do you think he fears that norm? He does not share that <laughs> norm. <laughs>
0: exactly. It,
1: and it was so ridiculous. So what is the outcome when you shame somebody based on a norm they don't even share? Well, they get outraged. They get outraged. Mm. Um. If If you shame somebody a, to to mask when they are anti-mask they will not they they won't just ignore you they'll be outraged by you um because why because think about it i I said before that shaming is like punching somebody in the stomach yeah. right so you're punching some you're its you punch somebody in the stomach for something that they don't even think they deserve they're like yeah. that, that's not even a rule I follow, and you're trying to punch me in the stomach well fuck you, you know what yeah. I mean so that out that outraged. <laughs> that outrage comes from a real place because shame really is inflicting as an attempt to inflict pain. Yeah. So, you know, so long story short and I I, I don't want to like hog the time here, but I just want to say the long story short, you're absolutely right that shaming somebody isn't always working. It doesn't, not only does it not always work, it often backfires and it backfires if um, the person doesn't share the norm. And secondarily, if they feel like you're, you don't have a community tie. Like Mm. the truth is shame really only works when first of all, the person who shares the norm, but second of all, like you approach them as a member of their community and say, Hey, the community needs you to do this. And we really, we really need you to do this.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I know that you want to do the opposite, but like, don't you care about the community because we care about you. That's, that's, that's when shame works. Mm. Um, at least for non politicians. Like by the way, I will I will make the ex- exception that like punching up shame really true punching up at like like which you could think of as holding power to account. Like shaming mm-hmm. uh you know, I think the be- the best example uh, of punching up shame that we've seen in the last month is um is Ukrainian President Zelensky who's who's punching up at the European Union in America saying like, Hey, I we're here holding on to democracy like back us up yeah. like shame on you for not for not helping us and he's been extremely um, good because whatever you know what he has he has they, they have a choice they can send weapons or, or or remain on the sidelines you know what i mean they really have a choice they have a voice because of course they are the you know the, the leaders of the of the western world and he's holding them to account so he's doing a, an incredible job of punching up at world leaders to get help for ukraine um, that's a great example where, uh, and, and they do, of course, share a community because they share that that community of, of Western de- Democratic leaders. Um, but you don't always need to share a community when you're punching up. Like if I'm punching up at like Wall Street regulators to get the Aww. the banks to stop, you know, whatever that is, I don't have to be like friends with Wall Street regulators. You're, <laughs> when you punch up at power, um, to just like hold them accountable to their own rules. That doesn't mean the community. But if we're talking about like, I want like, my neighbor to get vaccinated, you know? Like, you start with, you're my neighbor. We, our kids play together. You know what I mean? You start with the the community, and then you say, this matters to us, we, you know? And that doesn't always work. If that person was an anti-vaxxer, they're not getting vaccinated, but if they are on the fence and they needed persuasion and they needed to like, understand why that yeah. norm um, matters to the community, even more than their like reluctance to get poked with a needle, then it's possible. But you know, I, I guess what I'm saying is I've outlined quite a few conditions for fame to be both appropriate and to actually work, and they don't always get met. And yeah. what, in particular, I make the point of in the middle of the book is that like social media has gotten us addicted to this outrage shaming cycle, literally addicted. Like it actually is like lighting up the pleasure center of our brain, like heroin. Yeah um and it, there are there are seemingly no rules in place no principles and we always feel like we should have done that theming because we get reliked and retweeted and we have this like little posse yep. of like-minded folks in our tiny little bubble that are like you go girl it, yeah. it's totally performative <laughs> yeah it's, like it, it's performative and it's not helpful and it often backfires
0: Yeah, that's constantly what I'm what I'm looking at. It just seems, you know, just so much of it is uh, uh, just the signaling to others like, oh, look at me shame this person like it's like, you know, this competition to see who you can put on blast the most but it's almost like what you're touching on it's like almost like there's this like kind of compassionate shaming right like hey hey, it would really help us out if you, you know, got vaccinated and helped out the community so we can all get out of this thing, right? So some person might feel a yep, little bit of yep. shame rather than saying like, hey, you you fucking idiot. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So it's kind of interesting. but Yeah,
1: yeah. It basically, you're right that when you start with you fucking idiot, you're never going to get anywhere. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and also like, I would call it soft shaming, like you know we're part of the same like pta blah 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 like it's persuasion if you think about it it's persuasion and it's but it's reminding somebody of their their uh what they their obligations to the community so there's like a threat if you will a top threat of being expelled from the community if they don't follow the rules so they're in that threat of like getting kicked out of the village for hoarding food Um, But it's not like that's not front and center. That's not where you start. You start with like, hey, we, you know, we really care about you.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and real real quick, I have to ask you since since you are the the queen of algorithms, I got to ask you a question before I forget. All right, because uh, earlier when we were talking about kind of like uh, you know like you you research bariatric surgery and then all of a sudden you're just swarmed with like ads and suggestions and everything like that. So. I'm, I'm regularly thinking like, okay, the algorithms are amazing and terrible at the same time of what they do. So for example, I am a avid reader and Amazon's like, Hey, here's some more books or authors you might like. And I like strictly read nonfiction and it's like throwing at me like J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, you know, uh, JK Rowling and all these right. fiction writers. So I'm like, wait, do you know me? Like, it doesn't seem like you do. But, uh, another example is, so I'm in recovery, I'm sober on Instagram, for example, sometimes I'll do like, uh, you know, a post about sobriety or recover, or maybe I'll have an author on here who talks about addiction. And I use a couple hashtags on there. And then all of a sudden, I'm getting ads for like vodka, right? And stuff like that. So I guess- Oh my like, God. You're right? Like, it is it is insane. So, so I guess like you could say, maybe, you know, these people are just evil and they're hoping I relapse because I could be a great customer or- their algorithm is as bad as like, uh, you know, Amazon recommending me fiction books, even though I've like never bought a fiction book from them. You know what I mean? So like, do the algorithms like ever make an error and do the exact opposite from what you've seen? Or do you have any explanation for when I run into something like that? Because I think that's something where I'm like, "Eh, maybe we shouldn't be too afraid of the algorithms because it doesn't seem like they're really getting me. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Well, I guess both I think are true. I, I, it's certainly true that algorithms are imperfect and, you know, they start out life, not even much better than guessing randomly, but then they get better over time. So uh, that's one thing. So, you know, they're not, but yet even so they're not that good, I will admit that having yeah. said all that, like, so you, I could, that's sort of the J.R.R. Tolkien aspect of it. Having said that, like there definitely is this um, sort of, let me, Consider call it like a capitalistic um, incentive structure. That means that people who are um, po- like problematically drawn towards certain things are worth more. So one of the things I learned, much to my disgust, when I was doing my research for Weapons of Mass Destruction, was that some of the most expensive clicks, i.e., that most highly sought after clicks, were for, for for profit colleges. Oh, looking wow. for, um, looking for like people who will who are so poor that they're eligible for financial aid that goes straight from the government to these for-profit colleges, um, and then they get offered online classes that nobody graduates from because the graduation rate is so poor. But even if you do graduate from those those programs. It's not worth more than a high school diploma. It is actually just such a poor education, highly expensive. And the the vast majority of the students end up with an enormous amount of student debt and no real, you know, educational outcome. Mm. Um, So it's completely predatory. I just want to say it's completely predatory, but the clicks are worth, you know, $2 each, as I recall. Now that it's only $2, that doesn't sound that high. But if you consider that most clicks are worth pennies or fractions of pennies, Mm. um, you'll realize that this is a hugely lucrative predatory scheme. So my point is that like anything where you're like, oh, this person has a gambling problem. We're going to we're going to exploit them. Those those clicks are going to be worth more money than like, hey, Uh, buy a toothpaste. So I do want to just point that out, that like there is this really vulture-esque Kind of um, uh, aspect to the online ad tech world, which is our entire online existence, if you think about it. Like,
0: yeah,
1: um, that really preys on people, preys on people with weaknesses. I mean, that's part of why I wrote the section in my same book about the, the digital scarlet letter,
0: mm. because
1: that's where I, I think of, I'm imagining like all of our secrets are hidden online in this digital profile, which I call the digital credit letter, because anything could be used against us at any time. And that's how it works.
0: Yeah, no, very, very well said. And yeah, you mentioning the for profit colleges, I was, I was one of the people during my younger ignorant days uh and while in my active alcoholism and drug addiction i got sucked into the itt tech thing uh went there for like a semester and then we all know uh, how that went down um so yeah i can only imagine because that was like pre like when all the ads really started hitting and stuff like i was mainly just seeing commercials but um but you know, I wanted I wanted to kind of round this conversation out uh, with, with how do we how do we help you know our kids, right? You're a mother, I'm a father. And this is something, you know, because we're constantly hearing about the mental health effects. And, you know, there's been, you know, recent like, oh, hey, Facebook and Instagram knew that they were like destroying the mental health of young people. Exactly. Town, right. So yes. my my son just turned 13 years old. He just hit mental school, um, not mm-hmm. mental school, middle school. And it's going to affect his mental health because middle school can be hell yeah. going into high school. And, and yeah, it's something I'm regularly thinking about, you know, mental health issues run in our family. I remember growing up, uh, you you do a great job talking about um, status in your book too. So I'm always thinking mm. about, you know, the status hierarchies and how do I talk to my son about this? So anyways, when it comes to shame with the little that we can control, right? So as parents... Yeah. Uh, How do you talk to your kids or what do you think we should do when talking with our kids about how these algorithms work and, you know, you're not always seeing reality and, you know, you're going to be showing all the pretty people on social media and you don't have to meet the standards, you know, I'm curious, you know, your thoughts on how we can help the younger generations.
1: Yeah, great question. And I I do want to preface this by saying like, I was very careful not to write a self-help book with this same book, (laughs) because. You know, it ends with me being like, I will always be ashamed of my body. It's just part of me. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm not trying to solve shame. I'm really not. I'm trying to alert us to shame. I'm trying to give us a lens through which we see it and we say, hey, that's inappropriate. Or Mm -hmm. even better, we see ourselves about to do it and we say, hey, don't do that. It's not going to work. And so the exception of of the advice I, I hold back from advice per se. The exception is for kids. Like, I really do think that shame, one of the aspects of shame that kind of gets me down is like the intergenerational, you know, aspect of like, oh, I was ashamed of, you know, this, so I'm going to make my kids ashamed of that, you know? Mm. And people do it without thinking. They do it automatically. That's how they they were raised. And so they sort of, they, you know, they, they, um, transfer shame if you will from themselves to their children so quickly and so easily so that's one of the reasons i wanted people to be more aware of shame so that they are aware of doing that yeah. and so they don't do that um so it's really important to me that we do not comment on our kids bodies at mm-hmm. all except to say that they're perfect um and that we don't um we don't give them this d- narrow narrow view of how what. Well, of expectations of children to that point of like the beautiful people and they're not just beautiful right they're also rich and they're also intelligent and they're also um Mm -hmm. running their own clotheslines or whatever it is like the kim kardashian ideal yeah um of of existence and it's so narrowly understood like what it means to be doing well um getting into the right college i mean one of the most devastating interviews I I had was interviewing actually two sets of high school girls um about fame and I really expected to dwell on body image and you know sex streaming and slut framing and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And they did talk about that stuff, of course. Kim Kardashian came up a lot by the way, for both Mm -hmm. both groups. But the thing they really wanted to talk to me about was the college essay and the, the college application process and how it just shamed them to to like no end how they felt completely vulnerable and and ashamed and it was just like it just blew me away how we how narrowly we define success for our children it made me like it made me ashamed of our of our society
0: yeah no absolutely we can we could talk about that aspect you know all day it's something and i i think you know just one of the best things you you brought up was how we can kind of transfer that like when you were talking about your experience i won't spoil the book but your experience with your parents and dieting as a kid yeah. like i was right there yeah. with you i'm like kathy i yeah. was there too you know so but yeah. i think as parents we can do our best to not
1: making people so much better with <laughs>
0: What's the, what was it? You
1: know, it starts from like, I love you whether you go to college or not. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. it, it starts from like, you're just lovable. You're worthy. Yeah. Exactly. You're worthy. Yeah,
0: I always say, as long as my son doesn't like come out as an asshole, like, I'm good. You know? <laughs> like, well, there, there
1: we go. I, I, I will say that the other advice I have is even if your son ha- has asshole phases,
0: <laughs> like,
1: read carefully because, you know, shaming, um, shaming your son might, might backfire.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So these teenage years will be interesting. I'll keep, I'll keep you posted, (laughs) but. uh, Okay.
1: I wish you luck.
0: Kathy, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we're recording this, uh, I believe, the week before your book comes out. So for everybody out there, can you? Yeah, one us-
1: week from today. I'm really, I'm really scared, but. I, <laughs> I, I, can't, I
0: can't wait for people to get their hands on it. Where, where can people find it? And I'm a huge audio listener. Will there be an audiobook on launch? Oh
1: yeah, I, I, I read it. Ooh. I read it. It was yeah, it was fun.
0: Very cool. Is it, it going to be international, or is there two separate release dates?
1: It, it's definitely the uk uh, version is coming out the same day which is Ooh. March 22nd
0: beautiful awesome well kathy thank you so much for your time i will link all that stuff down below and yeah we'll, we'll have to do this again when the next book comes out
1: all right yeah i'm not to even tell me about that <laughs> but thank you so much so. pleasure to talk to you real pleasure
0: absolutely All right, everybody, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with uh, Kathy about her brand new book uh, coming out next Tuesday, March 22nd, The Shame Machine. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I I really appreciate her coming on. Kathy is a super, super, super busy woman. And yeah, this, uh, this interview was actually a little bit shorter because she had to go straight from here to like another like kind of book launch type deal. So I really appreciate her coming on. And yeah, I hope a lot of you, you know, uh, found value in this conversation, you go and grab a copy of her book, because kind of like Kathy and I ended this conversation with like, as parents, right? How do we, we we need to start uh, asking ourselves these questions, like how do we teach our kids about this? You know, because these feelings of shame can come, you know, from from anywhere. And you know, something I I try to do, which I you know, Kathy and I discuss, is I try to teach my son about how we evolve this way, right? We evolve to be part of the group and all these other things. And you know, there's this kind of good and bad shame, and there's a lot of conversations to be had about you know punching up. Versus, you know, the shaming of people who don't wear masks or get vaccinated and all that. So, I hope it gets your wheels turning and everything, because, oh, like Kathy and I were discussing, especially when it comes to you know COVID and hopefully, you know, fortunately, we're finally getting out of this nightmare. Hopefully, hopefully, I don't know if you've heard, but there's like some stuff rumbling over in like Hong Kong of a put like possibly a new variant. But anyways, hopefully, we're ending this, but. Anyways, something that, you know, we, we know for a fact, and, and trust me, I used to have so many anger issues. And even now, even now I try to like reel it in. Like I even wrote a book called rewire your anger, go check it out. It's at the rewired But yeah, I, I used to love putting people on blast. But eventually, you know, I got to a point I'm like, when has that ever worked? What if I ever just called somebody a fucking idiot and it worked? You know what I mean? Because if it's not working, we need to rethink our strategy. And, you know, like Kathy and I discussed, like social media kind of encourages us to do these big signals by, you know, calling people on the other side and the other tribe from the other camp, like a moron or an idiot, you know, but it doesn't help anything. So we really need to be talking about how we, uh, you know, we participate in some of this shaming, you know what I mean? So, make sure you head down to the description. Make sure uh, you follow Kathy over on Twitter. Grab a copy of her new book, The Shame Machine, that comes out March 22nd. That's next Tuesday. Pre order it. Or if you're listening to it later, grab a copy. All right. But before I let you go, make sure you're following me on Instagram and Twitter at The Rewired Soul. Do me a favor, leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. It helps out a ton. And share this episode. If you thought this was an interesting episode, if you thought this was a good conversation that people following you might enjoy, share it out there. All right, but some other quick ways you can uh, support the podcast. Uh, first one is some of you are listening to this episode early, and that is because you are a paid Substack subscriber. So if you're interested in supporting the podcast, getting episodes day early, down in the description, the, the rewired soul.substack.com $5 a month or $50 for the year. You get all the regular episodes a day early. Uh, next, you can head over to the rewired soul.com. Check out some of my books uh, that I've written. Like I mentioned, one of them is rewire your anger. So if you can't hold back, if you can't stop yourself from calling somebody an idiot or a moron or freaking out, you might want to grab a copy of that book. But I've written some other books on mental health, uh, addiction recovery and stuff like that. And lastly, Lastly, speaking of mental health, there is also an affiliate link down below for BetterHelp online therapy, something else that's helped me a lot with my anger issues, my depression, my anxiety, and just life in general has been therapy. And I've personally used BetterHelp. So I vouch for them. I love it. If if you're looking for affordable therapy with a licensed therapist and you want to do it from the comfort of your own home right? Or if you're like me, I, I used to do sessions in my car on my lunch break, right? Better help is the place for you. It's super convenient. Check it out. There's an affiliate link down in the description below. All right. But another huge, huge thanks to Kathy for taking the time to come on. Uh, and yeah, every everybody, all of you, uh, I, I think uh, that's the last episode of the week. So I'll be back next week. I have some other um episodes banked up. All right, so stay tuned. But other than that, have an amazing rest of your day and I will see you next time.